Wow, it is so crazy to think that we are already at the 15th episode of Holler, Voices of West Virginia Women. I'm Hillary Kinney, host and producer of the show, and I cannot thank you enough for tuning in this week. You all have given me such great feedback for the show. Some of you have listened to an episode a week. Some of you have listened to episodes multiple times. And some of you listen to more than one episode during the week if you have to play catch up. Your support means so much to me and it is going to mean so much going forward as I work with um, a close friend and some other connections that I have to figure out how we can make the show sustainable, bring on potentially another host, bring on other voices and other women to help in this production and to really make it even better. This week's episode, I have to admit, has been a long time coming. I actually recorded this episode in November when I was traveling for work in the Eastern Panhandle. I had the opportunity to sit down with Sammy Brown, who ran for the West Virginia House of Delegates in 2016 and has since announced that she will be running in 2018. She is actually from Charlestown, and she is running in the 65th District, which includes Charlestown and Ranson. She is running unopposed in the primary, um, and Sammy just has this amazing fire and energy and passion and commitment to her community. So when I messaged her and asked her to be on the show and she was willing to meet with me, I was so excited because as a Northern Panhandle girl and someone who lives in Morgantown, I don't get out to the Eastern Panhandle much. So to be able to actually meet with Sammy and talk to her about her life, what motivated her to run and her ideas for the future of West Virginia when she potentially uh, becomes a member of the House of Delegates. So thanks so much for tuning into the show and um, at the end you'll hear Sammy say that you can friend her on Facebook. So if you like what you hear and want to follow her journey, make sure to find her online and to um, follow her on social media to see how her campaign plays out during this year. An important part of my life, for those of you who know me personally, is politics. Mm -hmm. And when I first thought about this show, I was like, you know what? I immediately thought of women who are running for office and who are serving in office here in the state. Obviously, I've interviewed a number of different women from different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. But I was so excited when Sammy agreed to meet with me (laughs) when I was uh, in the area for work. So, Sammy, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. This is amazing. I'm really excited. Well, so for those of you who don't know Sammy, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on her work in the state. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about the work that you do when you are an activist (laughs) and running for office? Sure, (laughs) sure. Um, So I started my career here in West Virginia working for the AFL-CIO. I was uh, a regional organizer during electoral in 2014 that quickly expanded to the state. So um, in a matter of, I'd say, a couple of weeks, I went from having a few counties to the entire state of West Virginia. Um, So with that, I started with the labor movement, took my knocks, um, and one of my biggest mentors was Kenny Perdue. Once Kenny retired uh, during 2016, then I expanded my career to uh, West Virginia Healthy Kids and Families, and I built their federal program. So now I represent the state of West Virginia through federal programs, and uh, we kicked some major ass this year fighting back AHCA, um, repeals to Medicaid. Um, when they tried to shut down CHIP, we fought that. So um, Safety Net really is 
what exactly what it sounds like. It's the very basis in which we can uplift folks, um, especially when it comes to their health care and their income. Um, so through the federal programs, we started with those. Um, so most notably, that was the work. But then that also uh, afforded me some really cool opportunities. I spoke at Netroots this year, um, also spoke at State Innovation Exchange. Um, and that is how I got tapped for the Progressive Change Campaign Committee. And we just had some serious wins uh, across the country, uh, particularly in Virginia and New Jersey. So uh, really, really proud to... Uh, be all over the place in the name of best Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so you grew up in Charlestown, born and raised, and you went to Shepherd University. And we were just talking before the show, you actually moved around, worked out of state before you came back and yeah. started working here. So tell us a little bit about that. Of course. Um, so my passion, ironically, was communications. I worked at my radio station. I was the editor of our newspaper, um, and I worked for our program board as well. So some of like my most influential people came from those departments. Um, but initially, my opportunities were not here in the state. In fact, I was commuting to Washington, D.C. during uh, the last two years of my undergrad and all of my MBA to work at Hot 99.5. Um, so I worked there. I, did, uh, I was a production assistant for the morning show, and I worked for the Kane show. And then... Um, my next opportunities actually came from doing media in New York and then ultimately going out to Los Angeles and working at Kiss FM as a production assistant. Um, it was really when uh, 2014 came around that, uh, you know, brothers and sisters within the, the union movement, they were like, we, we really need Sammy to come home. And that's, that's how I ended up back in West Virginia, not because I didn't go elsewhere or travel elsewhere it was truly because someone called and said we really need this kid to come home we, we think that that she can help us out so that's how that happened um I think maybe how my worlds collided though was in college there was this man uh, who was an underdog for a presidential candidate and everyone told me he couldn't win and I said to hell with it I I like him I like him a lot. And so I skipped class and I went to Manassas and that was my first Obama rally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, After that, I worked, uh, I did field, I did grunt work. So that's how I really got introduced to what electoral life is actually like. But I did a lot of field. I did a lot of phone banking. And I did it in volatile areas and volatile precincts. But I loved that work. And then I kind of brought it back to campus working and doing a lot for Relay for Life. Um, There was a lot of uh, abuse awareness and... uh, Well, I mean, stereotypically, I did feminist issues, but it it just, you know, it's the stuff that really mattered with me and and resonated with me. And then I I just brought it back home, you know, throughout my career and then working with the university and being on boards and stuff as an alum. Um, I think that I first met you or learned of you when you were running for the House of Delegates in yeah. the 2016 election. So what was your thought process and when you <laughs> decided you wanted to run um, for office? So for, for the folks that have not seen me, <laughs> let me just give you a quick rundown. Um, I am everything that is not in the state legislature right now. I am young. I am female. I am interracial. I am progressive. Um, and I also came from a what real... What were you thinking? <laughs> oh, no, seriously. And I came from a really humble background. So my mom and dad do not have money. It really came down to that I got tired of apathetic representation. I got tired of people 
very overtly lying to my community. I grew up here. I know the people here. People would come to my mom and dad's house with newspaper clippings. Like, did you see what Sam did today? You know, I, it's not like I don't hear what's going on at home. Um, and what was going on at home and what was going on in legislature definitely was not matching up. So to me, it was really about speaking truth to power. It was about making sure that the people that I knew and that shaped me in one way or another got to survive and thrive. And they, they weren't. And it seemed like an egregious offense to me. So uh, I put my oh, I put my name <laughs> on that ballot, y'all. <laughs> Um, but far and away, one of the coolest experiences I I think I've ever done and scared the hell out of me, by the way, but like absolutely worth every minute. In what ways did it it scare you? So, I mean, you have to realize that when you first get into this, you do have to navigate the political sphere. There's, there is party politics to navigate. And I was no one. If you weren't a union brother or sister, you didn't know. You didn't know who I was. Um, But I made a name for myself in that arena. And so it translated a little bit, especially who my mentors were, into the party sphere. But in the grand scheme of things, there is truly a thing called the old guard. And the old guard did not know me. So I had to make my way in that space. Also, um, you know, you have to raise money you are going to get attacked and my god uh here i am with this this platform this platform that there wasn't anything like it throughout the state at that point it didn't matter what you were running for what position it was no one had these platform points and so just to you know add on to, <laughs> to the rest of it you know here's this here's someone that says i believe in debt free college i believe in an earned income tax credit i believe in you know making sure that uh, there's equal pay for equal work, and uh, I, I believe in the fight for 15. So it was a, it was pretty it was a pretty daunting task to begin with, and then you're you're open you're opening yourself up to like overt criticism. I will say too, as a woman um, and as a young woman, there's I, I I have to think of the right way to say this, but you run into hypersexualization. People need to know about your personal life. They want to know who you're dating. If you don't come to an event with a man, they question your sexuality. So there's a lot of parts to that. And I I will say like one of the hardest things to navigate was what people thought of my appearance. Um, You know, I looked too young. Uh, She's really curvy. She's too sexy for the job. Does she think she's running for homecoming queen or house of delegates? And I, you know, it was, it, it always boggled my mind that you didn't want to talk to me about my platform points or or the the real policy change that I could make you were more concerned with the fact that I well quite frankly I'm built like a Kardashian so (laughs) (laughs) So, you know just more hurdles as a woman I guess yeah but are you are you planning to run oh Hillary that's a you're you're just going right for the jugular I am um (laughs) I've I've said this for a few months now that if my community's in I'm in that's that's how I feel about it. Um, I will say that initially, I'd be lying to you if I told you that I wasn't heartbroken after 2016. It was devastating. It didn't make sense to me. Less. Yeah, I didn't. Well, it didn't make sense to me what happened f- across the board to a lot of really good people. Um, let alone what happened here in the Eastern Panhandle. So, um, you know, I had to take stock in that, and I I thought I was going to take a break from this. I did because. My, I thought my passions lied elsewhere. I was like, I'm a creative man. Like, 
you know, why politics? Y'all drag me into this for what? (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, it, it just became very clear to me almost immediately that this is exactly the space I'm supposed to be in. I, I think I led a protest uh, within weeks after that election. In fact, it was to protest the Electoral College. Um, and then after that, some really cool women were like, hey, Sammy, you want to come to D.C.? And that turned into Women's March. It just, <laughs> oops. <laughs> <laughs> See how this stuff works together? So, you know, and uh, again, with the health care, we, we, we beat that back not once, not twice, three times three times. That's what grassroots movements do. That's that's the kind of power that people have. And I think there's some relevance to that. So, you know, going back to the original question, it, if, it, if it is the will of, of my community and my people, I will absolutely put my name on the ballot. Is there anything you would do different? Yeah. Run a second time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I mean, Hillary, I'm young, man. <laughs> I'm young. And I think... I think as far as political campaigns go, I probably did everything you could possibly do wrong and took those hits the first time. Like get them out of the way early just on. Just get them out of the way. <laughs> took those knocks. Um, I, will, I will never forget this. This is, this is how, like, open-hearted I am, which you should you, – I, I won't say that because I'm obviously not going to change this about myself. But, but in general, this is not the type of person that succeeds in, in, in politics. But – I was just like, I don't care who you are. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to be right there. I don't care if we disagree. Like, you're my constituents. I'm going to be there. Y'all, let me tell you. I was invited to this one uh, forum. It was a debate. I was like, I don't turn down a debate. I'm going to go. I'm going to prepare and I'm going to go. And uh, it was it was the the business association at the time. And it, literally, it was like walking into the lion's den. There wasn't a friendly face in there. Not, not a single one. And they were in Brooks Brothers suits. Like, oh. <laughs> like they were not friendly. So I'm going in here and, you know, every, every, every Democrat told me, Sammy, just don't go. You don't need to go. You don't need to go. And I was like, no, like, we can't do that. We can't do that. If we expect to reach people, we got to go where they are. So I did. <laughs> you went where they are. <laughs> and, they, and they recorded it. And I don't regret that speech. In fact, I crushed that speech. But I sure, I, there was certainly a mass mailer that went out about me <laughs> not even 24 hours later. I was like, maybe I shouldn't have gone, you know. Um, I don't regret it, but it did open me up to some criticism that maybe was a little unfair. Maybe I didn't need to subject myself to it's tough enough. Um, you know, I'll also say that for campaigns, they are predominantly about your team. You think it's about you. It's not so much about you. It's, it's about other people. Um, and you should build a really great base around you. And at the time I was so headstrong and so focused on getting two people that I didn't put the time in to, um, really solidifying that team base before heading out there. And I would suggest that to any candidate, like have your support system and have them tight and ready to go long before you get out there. So there's just two. I could go on for days really, but that's not the topic of today's podcast. <laughs> I uh, I work a lot with young people. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about this before we recorded too. Yeah. If only you all knew the conversations I had before I recorded my <laughs> before I started rolling. But um, as a young person in the state of West Virginia, mm-hmm. what do you hope to see for the future of getting young people engaged and running for office and mm-hmm. just turning out to vote mm-hmm. or just living here? I mean, what is your vision? There's so much. Um, so for one, even having graduated from Shepherd, I still am very involved on 
on campus. I do mentorship. Um, I'm on board of directors. So I stay pretty attuned to what's going on. Um, A, because I'm not much older, right? But then also it keeps me in the mindset of what, what that age demographic still needs and aren't getting. The thing is, we can speak to this right off the bat, our opportunities may have not been here in the state of West Virginia. And so if you expect to keep youth, you need to create opportunity for them. You have to create a, a landscape and a life for them here. So if there's nothing to entertain them, nothing to sustain them, nothing to keep them engaged, then yes, they're going to go elsewhere to get their work. Right here in the Eastern Panhandle, um, quite a few folks graduate from the education program and, and they're they're set out to teach. And of course they want to teach locally. That's why they went to Shepherd. They want to teach locally. They may go to WVU and Marshall for a very similar reason. And yet here in the Eastern Panhandle, you can drive 30 minutes in one direction or the other and get paid about $15,000 more annually to teach in Maryland, Virginia, or Pennsylvania. If that's not a true export of your greatest talent, I don't know what is. So you can start there for one. Pay people what they deserve. Make sure their opportunities are here. But then also, freaking, you look around and the homes here, the, the, the neighborhoods that are here, can we afford to live there? And even if we can, what's here to build a life and a family around. And that's my that's my problem. If there's nothing here, you don't even have you don't have movie theaters, you don't have small businesses, you don't have this, that, and the other, then where are they going to shop and work and play? Where is that? And so there's there's a lot of things that we can do to lift that up. Tourism is actually uh a really big business here because it's a historic district. Shepherdstown, Charlestown, Harpers Ferry, all historic districts. And they are all places that people want to come to. They're destination spots. Why aren't we lifting that up for people? And on top of that, why aren't we lifting up the industry so that young folks do want to work in that industry and find it to be a career aspiration? I don't think we're doing nearly enough. What do you think is one of the biggest problems facing the state well, obviously, exporting young people is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. I do think it, I mean, far and away, it would be the um, the exploitation and the exportation of our youth. Um, I think that when they are here, they underutilize them or underpay them and overutilize them. And then uh, on top of that, you know, they aren't, we're not doing enough to make sure that you have your opportunities here. That I definitely think that our youth is our greatest export. Um, the other side to that, though, is I hear a lot about economic development. I hear a lot about that. Jobs, 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 right? Like a, we, we had a gubernatorial candidate that decided that, that, that that's how he was going to win his campaign was jobs, jobs, jobs. Tell me how we get those jobs, though. If we don't have a workforce to sustain those jobs, what jobs are coming here? So let's talk about that. Your workforce should be skilled, sober, and accessible. So if they don't have an education base, they're not going to be able to sustain those jobs. If they are ailing from addiction and we have no means in which to sober them up, they cannot go to work every day. They are physically ill. If they are not accessible because there is no traditional infrastructure and there's no digital infrastructure, then how are you supposed to sustain those jobs to get to those jobs? Furthermore, we're losing out on a huge amount of economic development because we won't entertain e-commerce. That's an issue. That's absolutely an issue talk a little bit more about that Mm -hmm. so with with e-commerce and think about 
let's let's use California for an example. You have an entire district in Silicon Valley that is about the perpetuation and innovation of tech. But we have what one, maybe two major uh, suppliers of a digital infrastructure within the state of West Virginia, Frontier and Comcast. So for one, you practically have a monopoly on that sort of thing. For two, what are we using? What are we doing to leverage any sort of digital infrastructure to perpetuate e-commerce, to perpetuate tech? And you don't have to drive over the river and through the woods to get to your job. You could be working from home. How many more people do you think would be working or gainfully employed if they didn't have to commute to that job? Think of how many more people we could put back into the workforce. So there's there's a lot there actually, and I you know I could I could delve into that alone for hours if you really wanted me to, but um, I'll wrap up there. <laughs> <laughs> what is some uh, advice you would give to women? in the state of West Virginia who want to get involved Mm -hmm. in politics and maybe not run for house of delegates, Mm -hmm. but just become more active in their communities, potentially run for office. Yeah. You, so for one, don't feel that you have to run for office to be gainfully, uh, engaged in, in a civic duty. That's, that's not necessarily what you have to do and don't let anyone diminish, uh, what you can provide for that space. The other thing is know your passion and know your voice right up front and do not deviate because there are going to be people that want to dilute your message and that will not do you a service and it certainly won't do the community that you're trying to do a service. Um, The other part too is embrace the fact that you're a woman. My goodness, your experiences are unique. You have been through a hell of a lot in your lifetime, regardless of where you came from. I don't care what your socioeconomic status is. I don't care what your race, religion, creed, or color is. I'm telling you that as a woman, you have a very unique perspective of strength that that is desperately needed in this space. So hold true to that, speak truth to power, and make sure that that's brought into that space. Um, Also, don't let them tell you how to dress, man. You go be bad and beautiful and you show up every day with that, that with the assertion that you not you belong there. You absolutely belong there and be bad as hell doing it too. My goodness. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, women, we always face this, uh, this double standard when it comes to our appearance and the way that we speak Uh, and blows my mind. Well, you talked a little bit about people who are trying to pry into your social or your personal life yeah when you're running for office as well well see so so let's discuss that a little bit if a if a man were running for for office how many times do you hear about who is he dating they don't care they don't care he never has to show up with a woman to an event there he never has to have someone on his arm but we as women are are expected to be escorted to these events and and often uh i caught this a lot when they invite you to events i appreciate your invitation but why do i always have to have a plus one why is it always about two tickets you know like (laughs) i'm coming as sammy brown okay (laughs) i'll be there i will be there Now, I don't think, I think most people mean no harm by it, but the reality of the situation is there's, there's still that implicit bias that you have to, to combat on a regular basis. You are strong and affirmative all on your own. You do not have to cater to that if you don't want to. There is nothing wrong with you bringing your significant other, but you are just as valid all on your own. Um, you know, the other premise to that too is yes, there is very much a double standard in how you appear 
all they have to do is put on their suit or I've seen jeans, polo, and a blazer, right? And they're, they're good to go. Um, us, on the other hand, we might... <laughs> Nails done, hair did, heels. Can you imagine rolling in in jeans? Pants, suit. No, that's not going to happen for us. That's not going to happen. Jeans are not an option. No, they're not it, a part of the equation. It's, it's not going to happen for us. And and that's that's so real because even in canvassing, was the canvassing really was the only time that I got away with that kind of thing. And even then you kind of had to throw yourself at least a little bit together because otherwise, you know, they're looking at you like, you're you're on my front door. Um, But there's, I mean, there's a lot there. And I think what I want to get through to to women that that enter this space, your truth is your truth. It it could be internal, external, whatever, but live that. And there's going to be a lot of factors that try to pull you apart in the meantime. You just you just have to stay true to your core. Have you ever struggled with like maintaining that truth and keeping it? Yeah, that's tough. I mean, there's been plenty of times where I've gotten the advice like don't protest for that, don't speak to that, why avoid that. And um it's simply not who I am. It's not that I'm not cognizant of these things. I'm very good at what I do for a living. Um and I you know, maybe I would advise that for someone else. I, I absolutely am aware of optics, but I don't know how to function that way. I simply don't. So it's it's everything I say to you and every every bit of what I advocate for is is what I feel top to bottom, like from my fingertips to my toes. So <laughs> it would be a hell of a lot easier if I could lie though. <laughs> What do you hope to see for Democrats come 2018? In the state or in the country? In the state and then in the country. We'll I, talk state first. Sure. The state, I'd like to see embrace some more progressive values. I think we've been so centrist for so long, um, and they felt that was the strategy. They felt like that's where you needed to go. And I, if that's your belief system, I absolutely not will, I won't degrade you for, for that being your belief system. But what I am saying is, can we expand to make that space for people that that absolutely believe in progressive values? You're not the fringe or the core now, which is very indicative by what's going on um, in these elective trends. I'd, I'd like to see more diversity. I think it was very clear and apparent that when you have, you know, people of of all colors and and races and genders and and uh, gender identities, and it's just it was this beautiful diverse base that got elected in the last day or two and it was it did my heart good really and what it said to me is there is an overt repeal against the hate and um the codification of just like a homogenous type of landscape I don't know how else to say it like it's it doesn't have to be the same type of candidate doesn't have to be the same type of individual and it was starting to look very white male and now you're seeing the full spectrum like you're seeing immigrants running you're seeing black men and women you're seeing latinas you're seeing you know asian immigrants you're seeing transgender folks you're you're just seeing the whole gamut and it's beautiful and i think that if we can embrace that kind of diversity here in west virginia that's what becomes normalized as opposed to this this commentary of we don't want you here. And that's really what's being perpetuated on multiple levels. Even the best intended people. It's like, 
yeah, but you, mm, let's put you over here. I don't get you, you know, and it's not okay. It's not okay. So that's what I would hope. I would hope for more diversity and uh, a broadening of the spectrum of values that are, are, uh, that are mainstream in the state of West Virginia. <laughs> and national, national, the national level. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. So I don't, you know, if you follow me at all on social media, it is not a secret who I want to see as my next president. My God, Joe Biden, just file, just make it happen. I can't. Oh, I love that man so much. Um, But in a very real way, I want empathy infused into the conversation. I want populist ideology. I want people based policy. That's what I want. I want it to be empathetic and humanist. And I want that to be normal. I don't want that to be something that I'm, I, I'm talking to you about a podcast and it's like, yeah, she's a champion. No, I want that to be commonplace. I want that to be everyday conversation. I'm going to fight like hell until that is the case. But for right now, it it sounds awesome. Sounds a little bit unicornish and I'm all about it. <laughs> so <laughs> We've talked about you as a candidate. We've talked about your opinions on politics, this, that, and the other. If you could describe yourself... Just Sammy Brown. In one word. <laughs> There's not one, one word. word. <laughs> There's not one word. It's not possible. It's not possible. You're going to have to give me more than that. Okay. <laughs> what is something uh, you wish people could know about you as a human? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily as a candidate. Maybe not necessarily as an activist. Uh-huh. As, a, as a human being. Yes. Um, I mean, I know that's a part of who you are as a human. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. Um, I do not accept the word no. Don't try. And I cry at happy endings. I'm totally that girl. Um, and it's worse when it's like inspirational football films. Ball like a baby. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like the blind side. I can't even make oh. it through the whole thing. It's just, uh. Oh, no. <laughs> I cry at happy commercials, so I understand you. <laughs> I feel you on that front. Um, gosh, those are two main ones. I sing in the car. Uh, that is my my therapy. And uh, I think that I, I could meet anyone throughout history. I'd shake their hand. It would be Lucille Ball because she made this really iconic career all because she fell in love and wanted to spend more time with the love of her life and to me I think that's cool it's honest (laughs) and it's in my opinion that's badass and brave so um yeah those are are my main points about Sammy (laughs) did you ever think that you would run for office like was your interest in politics and being a leader in a leadership role was that always a part of you so you know if I if I told you like my life story, you'd be like, uh, yeah, Sammy, you should have known all along. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't at all. Um, in fact, there was a point in my life where people told me, you, Sammy, college isn't for you. You shouldn't go to school. Go work. Like, you don't belong there. Now, I, I graduated with, with honors, but, like, you know, at the time, people, people didn't believe that. Um, my first protest when I was eight, you know, for Title Nine. That's some radical stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's just, no, um, not at all. But I look back on things like that. I, you know, I ran for student government as a fourth grader and won. I ran on uh, 
chocolate milk and uh, playground equipment. That was my <laughs> that was my platform. And we had buttons. I made pink buttons out of construction paper, and I shaped them like pigs. And it says, "Don't be a ham. Vote for Sam." So that was. So I'm not new to campaigning. If you guys could see my face right now. I'm smiling <laughs> from ear to ear. This is great. I'm not new to this, y'all. Um, but I no, I I didn't think that this was going to be my space. I thought that I was going to be very much in a a creative career. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I'd be a bit of an entertainer, actually. So when I was in high school, I was in theater and I was in the band and on the speech team and all this. And then when I went to college, I realized that I was very interested in politics, policy. Um, start paying a lot of attention to the news. And then kind of when you get older, your creative side, you kind of leave it to the wayside. How have you kept in touch with your creative side with all of the work that you do? Yeah, that's fair. Um, So I had a similar experience in college. Um, High school, I played three varsity sports, but I was also in the band. And then college, um, once once I got into college, I was working a few jobs to make sure that I could pay for it. So... You know, I think that was like a route for me that was hard. It was, it was just something that I, I certainly didn't get to do enough of. But writing was a, a huge outlet. So writing for, for our paper and, um, you know, believe it or not, you, you almost have like an instantaneous uh, outlet every day through social media, which is kind of cool. But I will say that writing was like the, my biggest outlet. So now when I do these things, like I, you know, I, I obviously love doing radio and uh, TV has been great for me. But the one thing that I truly, truly love to do will always be right. Um, the other thought, too, is <laughs> I have some friends in, uh, in the Berkeley Springs area. And I just, y'all, I just found the most beautiful guitar ever. Like, I'm so excited for it. I am, like, plotting and scheming to buy this thing for myself. It's gorgeous. Um, but I also try to find some time to to go back to my musical roots, if you yeah. will, and play a little. Well, I think it's so important for people who are involved in politics and involved in fighting the good fight to remember, you got to take some time and get to your creative roots. you got to turn off the news sometimes. Um Oh, sorry. I got to get closer to the mic. Um, you do. And I, I'm a big proponent for this, especially in in the activist space, which is very different than it's all hard, the rest of it. It's hard to get knocked down and get back yeah. up, especially in the past, you know, very, a year ago. Oh, happened. my goodness. And, and you're, you know, you're you're bringing people together. You're going into volatile territory. You're you're out there. You're you're on office steps. You're it just the activist space is very different from advocacy, policy, organizing. Like it's a very, very different caveat and it is daunting. Um, so I know that activism fatigue is a very real thing. I try so hard to make sure that folks get that time to themselves to relax and, and to recharge and um, you still can fight the good fight, but not every fight is yours, if that makes sense. So I, I'm a big proponent of that. Um, and I've had to teach myself that this year too, because I am pulled in a lot of different directions. It's I don't just advocate for the state. Now I advocate, advocate nationwide. So I, I have both that I'm navigating while, again, like, you know, if I were to run, <laughs> if I were to file and throw in this campaign, it's like a third full-time job. When is it? Do you have that outlet to keep your sanity? And how do you, how do you keep yourself healthy on top of that? And it's a, 
it's something that all folks should do, but especially uh, for us as women, we tend to have this propensity to not take care of ourselves. We take care of everyone else around us because we're, we're caregivers and caretakers. It's just what we do. And we're badasses because of it. But it, you know, you, you do have to take a step back and be aware that you, you need that for yourself in order to help others really. You hear that everyone, even the most fierce people mm. know how important it is to take time for yourself. So <laughs> slow down, turn off the news. I didn't say I was good at it, Hillary. <laughs> I just said that, yes, it's important. <laughs> well, Sammy, it has been so awesome to oh, finally get to meet you in person. <laughs> thank We've you. We've been Facebook friends for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> for anyone who wants to get in touch with you or mm-hmm. learn more about the work that you're doing, how yeah. is the best way to sure. get in touch? Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is all along came Sammy. Mm. Perfect. Well, <laughs> Sammy, thanks so much for meeting with thank me. Thank you. Oh, it was great, Hillary. Super proud of you. Oh, psh, thank you. <laughs>